are here tonight to um, celebrate Good Friday, as we call it. Um, for, for us, I, I had somebody actually ask me a question, why is it Good Friday with everything that happened? And so um, the good, uh, it's good for us because um, Jesus laid down his life for our sins, and so for, for that he made us the righteousness of God. And that, um, it didn't stay this way, but Easter is coming, the resurrection is coming. We're thankful for that. So we're going to begin tonight's, uh, tonight's service is going to be a mixture of several different things. We're going to have songs, we're going to have some prayer, we're going to have scripture, and we'll also celebrate communion. And we also have a, um, a cross-nailing ceremony, and um, we'll guide you through that. We want you to relax and just connect to Jesus. But we're going to begin with prayer now, so if you'll pray with me, please do so. Lord God, we do come to you this evening recognizing several thousand years ago the ultimate price that you gave for us. As the scripture says, you laid your life down freely. No one took it from you. And so you did that for us. Um, You were not sinful. You were not wronged. It is for those that sinned before, that missed the mark of what God intended, and for all those now and in the future from that point. And so, God, because of that, um, may you just... uh, Help us to see you not in the, the way that, um, that the church has maybe given a wrong image in the world, but let us see you in, in, in your image, in the image of the suffering servant, the one who gave his life, um, that we may have eternal life. And for that, we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah. 
Verses 12 through 31. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the tables eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today... Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the others said the same. One of the things with the songs tonight, there's no rules. If you want to stand, feel free to stand and worship the Lord. This is about you worshiping our Savior. So um, if you want to sit, you may do so as well.
reading is from Mark 14 verses 32 to 52. They went into a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of them, those standing near, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind.
verses 53 through 65. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the court courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave the fa this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before him and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This uh, part in the, in the service, we want to enter into communion. As was read for us before, um, right before Jesus and the disciples went out, they celebrated what was a Passover meal. Interestingly enough, it, it falls perfectly this year, right, with Passover and everything else, that, um, that it would have been a year much, much like this. Um, Jerusalem was filled with people. We know from those who celebrated Palm Sunday that they were packed in there, and Jesus came in with a triumphal entry. But those crowds had changed a little bit. Jesus had done... Hopefully some of you have been following that on our Facebook or some other feeds this week about what went on through that, first, that last week that Jesus, before his crucifixion. And so Jesus didn't do things the way people thought he should, and that tends to happen a lot. But at this time, Jesus had come, and, uh, and they were practicing the Seder meal at that point. And when the supper was over, Jesus took bread, and much like 
this bread, it was a matzah bread uh, that was part of the, the Jewish tradition of the Seder meal. And it would have been a complete piece, but he took it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he, which this, this brokenness had been done for years, called the Afrocommend, which means I have come. And the tradition was that the youngest person, they would go and they would hide this, and the youngest person would go ahead and look for it. We don't know if that's what they did, but because when Jesus broke it, he wasn't about hiding anything. He was revealing something to them, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper was over and a Seder, Jewish Seder meal, there are plenty of cups that are around, and each one has, a, has a, a meaning to it. And Jesus took the cup, and as he took the cup, he began to give thanks to God. Once again, it said, in the terminology of the Jewish people, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam. And what that meant was, blessed are you, Lord our God, creator, ruler, sovereign of the universe. And then he would say, which gives us uh, fruit of the vine that we may have drink. He began to pass that around to his disciples. Many scholars believe it was the cup of redemption that occurred here. So he began to pass it around to his disciples. They thought he was going to say something about Elijah because you always left an empty seat at your table just in case Elijah decided to stop by because Elijah returning was the prophet that was going to say, guess what, the the Messiah is returning. And Jesus was here, and as he was here, he began to pass it around to his disciples and said, and take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we have 2,000 years of tradition in looking back on this, but they probably thought, what in the world is he talking about? Even though during the week before, he was telling them that the Son of Man will go up and he will be handed over and he will be crucified. That's when Peter said, no, nothing's going to happen, not going to happen. Jesus said, yeah, it's going to happen. And this is the night before. And after they sang a hymn, they went through... The Kidron Valley went down through a, a place where I've been before. Some of us have been before where we walk, and there's still today tombs that are 5,000 years old. And as you're walking through there, you realize that this is the way that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you also realize this is the way he came back, but the way he came back, he was not free. He was in chains, and he was beaten and taken to a prison in Caiaphas' prison. And so we here today rec- and this evening recognize especially today that Jesus gave his life upon the cross for us, that he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood shed for you, and we recognize that on this Good Friday for us. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body and the, and, and of Christ, redeemed by his precious blood. By Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ, one in ministry to each other and into the whole world. This world needs to know that, that Jesus suffered and died and rose again, and, we need, and you, you've given that our task, God. And so there's some, there's some rules to this communion thing, and it's simple. It's this. Do you love Jesus? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who was a great scholar, a biblical scholar, said that he believed through the act of receiving communion, if you really embrace what Christ did for not only the world but for you, that you could actually say to yourself, if I was the only person here, he would have come and he would have been nailed to a cross and had the worst death of every, many people in the whole history of the world. Not for what he did, but because of his love for you and me. That you could say, wow, I want to accept that offering of salvation for you. Because I, I get things wrong. We all do. And only you can make it right. And then on top of that, 
The other thing is, do you have people in your life that you don't get along with very well? If you don't, come and talk to me afterwards and tell me how to do that. Because we all have problems. Jesus had problems with people. They were the ones who handed him over to be crucified. And yet on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Are you, do you want to live at peace with somebody who you don't? And you say, I've tried everything, God, and I need to have the spirit of Jesus to come upon my life to just say, forgive them. I've forgiven all I can. Help me forgive them. All right? So do you love Jesus Christ? And do you earnestly repent of your sin? Do you have that stuff in your life that we've all messed up of and we want Jesus to take? If that's what you feel and if that's who you are, this is for you. This communion is for you. Right? I don't care if you're three. I don't care if you're 103. This is the body of Christ, all right? So what we're going to ask, um, I'm going to ask that the worship team comes first, and I'm going to serve them. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. The Lord's body broken and given for you. The body of our Lord broken and given for you. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of our Lord broken and given for you. shed and poured out for you. things as well is we also have um, gluten-free station over here because we recognize that's something that we're, we're able to provide. Um, what we're going to ask is if um, 
is that if you'll just cut this side, just come down from here and head this way. If you want to sense as I'm praying or whatever, please go ahead and do so. Um, feel free to do so. Um, or you can go back and pray where you are or, and just worship in the midst of the, uh, singing. Um, from the back this side, you'll come down this way and go around. And then from the back on that side, you'll come down around. The ushers will help you help you get there. But, but use this as time not, not to fellowship with each other, but use it as time to fellowship with the presence of Christ to recognize what the ultimate cost that he gave for us this night. You see, church means absolutely nothing without tonight. Absolutely nothing. We're all just an organization just wasting our time. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, if, if we stop preaching Christ crucified, and if it's not true, then we are the biggest fools that ever existed. And guess what? April Fool's Day is coming, and we're going to show the world how foolish we are because he rose. So please come to the table of the Lord and worship our, our Savior who gave his life up for you this day.
next reading is Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. How deep is Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss the Father turned his face away Has wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished Yes, it is finished Oh, it is finished Oh I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds 
have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His words have paid my ransom, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. For, for many, uh, this, this service this night has become one of their favorites, if not their favorites. Um, as I mentioned in, in the uh, communion, that without this night, we have no Easter, we have no resurrection, we have no church, we have no nothing. We have nothing. Basically, all we have is sin and death, and that's it. Um, and so tonight, with a, a message here, I want, to, um, I want to touch on a very significant and something deep in a, deeper in a very spiritual way, um, basically something that Jesus shared from the cross. There's been several sermons on the last words of Christ and series that are done with that, but I want to just share with a, a message that Jesus gave from the cross as he was uh, nailed upon the cross uh, today. I thought it was very interesting he w- that he would have been nailed upon the cross around 9 a.m. in the morning. And it was a nice weather until about 9 a.m. this morning. I just thought it was kind of interesting, and it kind of changed a little bit um, throughout the day. But let's start with some context. I want to give you some context. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 37, we see the final word as we look at some of these that Jesus says on the cross, and it says that above Jesus, they placed the written charge against him saying, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And they're mocking him, and they're saying, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. Um, you're the king of the Jews. Yeah, go ahead. Look, this is what Caesar does to, king of the Jew, to the king of the Jews. And then it says that two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults on him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy this temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from this cross. If you are the Son of God, in the same way the chief priest and the teacher of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. You see, people mocked and were basically saying, where's your God now? Where is your God? Because they said, he, he is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. (laughs) He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. (laughs) Interestingly enough, that some of the mockery that went on is, where's your God? He trusts in God. Where is he? You mean you're still, you're nailed to a cross and you're still going to trust in God. Everybody say, he trusts in God. Say it one more time. 
In other words, where is this God that you're talking about? I mean, you're hanging on a cross and you trust God? Let God rescue him. Now, admittedly, if you were looking at Jesus hanging on the cross, it wouldn't be something pretty to look at. And you might say something as well. When they say he still trusts in God, he still trusts in God, where is God? Because if you had seen Jesus at this point, if you had had this opportunity or tragedy to see Jesus, you would have seen something very interesting. You would have seen a Jesus that they beat and abused so severely that he didn't even look like a human being. When you think about it, they took his outer clothing, his shirt that he would have had, and his clothing off. And they whipped and they beat him 39 times. Now, it wasn't bad enough with it. It was just a whip, but it was a cat of nine tails or a scourging instrument that the Roman historian Tactius tells us that had leather straps that were intertwined with it, bits of sharp bone and and broken pieces of glass and also stone in it. And they were so good at it that... 40 lashes was a death wish because the Roman historian Tactius tells us that he saw someone, strip, a Roman soldier, strip someone of his first layer of skin as it dug in and ripped off from, the, from the, his knees all the way up to his chest and then finally give a final blow which spilled out all of his inner uh, organs. Jesus got 39 times because they had crucifixion prepared for him. So they wanted to go ahead and scourge him to the point that he wished he was dead but still leave him alive. They would blindfold him and they would hit him, according to what we're told, and hit him about the face and punch him and hit him with like a, a, something the equivalent of a small bat and say to him, prophesy, Christ, who hit you? Time and time again. They spat upon him and said, who spit on you? As they had him take his cross, which was probably about 75 pounds on the back of his bleeding, torn, open back. He would have the cross piece that he would have to carry some way and being uh, these stone streets, the blood that poured from him would cause him to slip. And we know from scripture that he slipped under the weakness of carrying 75 pounds on his back. But can you imagine that rough railroad tie cross rubbing against his bleeding and open back? And as he walked along, everybody in the street, those, many of those same people who just a few days yeller, ye- earlier were yelling, save us, save us, now were infuriated that this person who they trusted in now was not doing what they wanted to do and now was a criminal. They shouted, crucify him, and they spat upon him, and, hi- and everybody could hit him and throw things at him while he's in this helpless position. We know from Scripture he fell and Joseph of Arimathea took his cross. They even went ahead and, put, and pushed a crown of thorns on him. And some of us who have been there, I remember my first trip to Israel when I was standing out in the shepherd's fields of Bethlehem. I was walking along and I caught something on my foot and, I, and somebody went, ouch. And they were little thorns that were growing out of the ground that had a spike on them, very new, about this big. And those full-grown were put into a crown and said, here's your king of the Jews. And they pushed it into his head so he would bleed. And when they got him to the place, there they would lay him on this rough cross and hoist that part up. And they, as they nailed 
spikes into his wrists and also lifted up his legs and turned them. So one leg over the other so it would stick. And he, when he breathed, he would have to pull himself up and let himself down. They didn't want him to die too quickly. That wouldn't have been enough punishment. And they would have stripped him completely naked at this point. Not one artist has ever been able to depict Christ properly because it's too painful and too offensive to us if we actually saw our Lord naked and bleeding upon a cross that we couldn't even know if he was human or not. And yet they put him on a road so that everybody walked by could take a look and see what happens when you mess with the Roman government. So you can imagine why those people around are saying, walking by and going, you trust in God? You trust in God? Where's your God now? Here you are, naked, bleeding. I don't even recognize you. And you still trust in God? The word here for trust that we see in the scripture here, and I have a slide for you, it means pitho. And it means simply this. It means to convince or rely with inward certainty, to have full confidence and complete trust. And they're saying, you have inward confidence and complete trust in God? You see, in our lives, it's easy to trust God when everything's going well and it's in the bright part of the day. But when it's dark and it's difficult, there's not sometimes that it's so easy to trust in God. You see, all of us must answer at some point The most fundamental question that is asked of all of us, do you really trust in God? I mean, not when everything's good and we have Easter baskets and, and life's good and the bank account's full and everybody we love is healthy and we celebrate. No, do we trust in God? It's a question that's been asked from the beginning. It was the one that caused the sin thing in the first part where Satan said, did God really say to Adam and Eve? And they had a moment where they didn't trust God. And it caused everything in a downward spiral. You see, in Matthew 27, as we continue, it tells us from noon until the three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when the men beat him, when they questioned him, when they whipped him, when people spat upon him, when they blindfolded and hit him, when they nailed him to a cross, he didn't have one complaint at all from anything any human did to him. Yet at this moment, he screams in his agony, I can't take this. Where are you? Why? It's interesting that throughout all of Scripture, Jesus always refers to God as Daddy, Abba, Father, throughout the whole time. And this one point in Scripture, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is perhaps one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. It's unquestionably the most confusing in all of the Gospels. Martin Luther, the great theologian who started this whole Protestant Reformation thing, said this, how can God forsake God? Because that's what happened. And the answer is definitely I don't know, but there's a lot of theology behind it. I mean, how, why, what, God's son forsaken? 
I'm, I'm a little confused here. All these questions. Of course, Jesus had to know. In Gethsemane, he told people this was what was going to happen. Surely he knew he was God. All these questions come into mind. Yet he embraces the one question that we all have to deal with at our one point in our life. Whether you believe or not, you have to deal with this question. Why? And who is God? You see, we all live with hurts and we live with questions and it's where we exist at some point in our lives. And we ask why and we don't understand. And the reality is, you're not going to like this because I don't like it either. We have to understand that we are not going to understand everything. We live in a time where we can just Google whatever we want. And I can't Google and get a good answer. I can have some people's theories, but God doesn't say, hello, this is the answer, Jack. The truth in all this is in living in this life, this thing called world, we only see a small glimpse of the story. And you and I, when we look at the brevity of our lives, are only a small part of this story. We can't see God's perspective, and I don't like that answer. In fact, Paul, the apostle, and it's very interesting, one of my really good friends today happens to be in Rome, and he went to the tomb of Paul. And he was messaging me, telling me how incredibly awesome the experience was to be there that this person who wrote most of the New Testament and shaped Christianity. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, that's all nice when we're looking across from our loved one at a wedding. I say, then we shall know in part. Then, now we know in part, but then we're going to know well. I love you. I do. Amen. Kiss, kiss. Party, party, right? But when we're going through the struggles of life, when things don't make sense to us, it's hard to say, I'm only seeing a little bit here. But one day I will know all things through God. You see, I want to share with you this paper here. See this? What two words do you see here? Now, many people will come and they'll see the first two things, and many of you, if you see a word, you'll say, it says nowhere, right? Nowhere. But there's other people that will see this and say what? Now, now here. And you know, it's the same thing. In hard times, we ask the question, where are you, God? You're nowhere. You're nowhere, God. I've been praying to you. I've been crying out. You know the story of my life. You're nowhere. But as we get to know God through Jesus Christ, we can recognize that in the deepest, darkest situation of life, he is now here. I don't understand it, but you are now here. You see, I remember as when Jacob was a real little kid. This popped into my mind today. When Jacob was a really little kid, he had this knack for splitting his chin open twice. One time, it was in a porcelain tub, and he split his chin open. Another time was he was playing, and he had a little train table, and he put his hands on a, a cushion, and it slipped out and hit him right here. Now, each of those times, he was a little kid, 
Matter of fact, I think Rachel was a baby the second time, and she wasn't even thought of the first time, okay? So he had to be three, maybe three years old the first time. And I remember when we went to the hospital, here he is with his chin split open, bleeding. And as a father, I had to hold him still, hold him down, okay? Some of you who are parents may have experienced this situation if your children like to split parts of their body open as well. And you, I had to hold him down. He fought me holding him down and did not want me to and actually said, Daddy, no. And guess what? In thinking today, there is no way a three-year-old could be able to comprehend and understand that I'm holding him in the midst of his pain and his suffering so that he can get healing. It is no different from us in the Christian faith that we have stuff that happens to us that splits us open to the heart and it causes us to bleed inwardly. We may have physical ailments. We may have pain beyond all measure in this world. And yet we wonder, God, you are nowhere, but he's holding us still, saying, I am now here. You just don't understand, nor will you ever understand in that situation. You see, in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah the prophet wrote this, and I hate this verse, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. You know what that is? That's daddy in heaven saying, because I said so. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Anybody else not like that verse? You can join with me. And guess what? God doesn't care. He's still holding me in the midst of that. But there's a good news. God's word gives us some things that we need to remember when we don't understand. Three quick things that I'm going to share, and then I'm going to expound just a brief bit about And these things are this, that God is good, that God is for me, and that God is with me. How do we get from God is nowhere, that God can't be seen anywhere in our circumstances, to the place that we can say without a doubt, God is now here. See, life will throw things at you. Curveballs come at you. Things change, situations, hearts are broken. So how do we get from nowhere to now here? We simply hold on to the unchangeable God. Some of us right now may be here and say, okay, I understand this, Jack, but right now my life's good. Things are good. I have no crisis. I'm blessed. I'm feeling good. Woohoo! we're cruising. And you're really thankful for that. And your life may look like this picture. In, if you go ahead and put that up there, your life may be like this, peaceful and tranquil and wonderful. Kids are well. Relationships are good. Everything's awesome. But as life contains the winds of change, you can expect challenges, you can expect betrayals, and you can think of all kinds of things, and your life may look like this, where you're just holding on with everything that you can have. You see, the chaos and the hurt and the confusion are so great that holding on to the one who is unchangeable, we may feel worn out spiritually. But tonight, because of the cross, we can embrace an unchangeable, immovable God. 
And so there's three things I want to share with you. Those things I just said very quickly. We've got to remember that God is good. God is good. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark, who is actually the one that was read to us, that ran away naked because he was creeping around and seeing what they would do. And somebody went to catch him and he left his garment. He ran away naked, wrote this in Mark chapter 10. No one is good except God. Here's why this is important. Because we tend to project our present situation on God. That if things are bad, then God must hate me. If things are bad, then God is nowhere. And when things happen that we don't understand, why have you left me, God? But God transcends our circumstances. He is above that, and so we hold on. We hold on. So in the middle of a cancer diagnosis, God is good. If you experience abuse, which I do not want to minimize at all, that is some of the most horrific abuse that you could ever have, it hurts so deep that you can't even begin to explain it, and it's affected you for years, what I want to tell you is that situation is horrific, but God is good. If you're grieving a loss that makes no sense that someone died, I want to tell you, it makes no sense, but God is good. In war where atrocious things happen and have affect people, when genocide occurs, God is good, and forever, God is good. And you need to remember that. Number two, we need to remember that God is for me. Everybody say, God is for me. God. Romans 8 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, in the Bible, he's referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the great I am. He breathed life. He spoke into existence the stars, and yet the scriptures say he's for you. If that's true, who or what circumstances should ever shake us? There should be absolutely nothing in the world that should shake us because he created it all with just a breath and a speech. He is the all-powerful God, and he is your advocate, which means he believes in you. He has a dream and a purpose for your life beyond the confusion of your situation today. Hold on to that and remember that God is always good and God is always for us. And the third thing that I want to share is this one, that we need to remember that God is with me. God is with me. In Hebrews chapter three, 13, verse 5, it says this, never will I leave you and never will I, what? What's that word? Wait a second, time out. Isn't that what this whole thing's about? Isn't this what this whole thing's about? That he says never is the good news. Everybody say never. never. Is the good news that you may never, no matter how much you feel alone, he will never leave you. Or forsake you. And that's God's promises. But the question is that we're sitting here is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it's easy to trust in God in the light. It's hard in the dark. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Why did the father have to turn to this presence from his son? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. You see, do you trust God is the question. See, we're not going to understand everything. And in the Hebrew, it says acknowledge. It means yada. Everybody say yada. yada. So you say yada, yada, yada. It actually means to know. It actually means, so let me show you what this says 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, know God. In all you do, know God. Even when you don't understand, know God. You can't know why situations happen, but you can know God. And that's all you need to know. And he will make your path straight. What I'm learning and what I'm trying to grasp even better than before in my life is two things. And then we'll finish this part of the message. The better I know God, the less I need to ask why. The better I know God, the more I ask what. Instead of asking God, why is this happening? And God, why are you doing this? And, and God, why aren't you giving me what I've asked for and, and helping me out? The better I get to know God, it's, God, what are you doing in this? And God, what do you want to see in me? And God, what do I need to do to come in accordance with your plan? You see, there's a big difference. It's a different perspective on life. It's the perspective that the disciples had after the resurrection. So when people say God is nowhere to be found, I can say with confidence, no, I know the situation, and I don't understand, but I can tell you God is now here. So why did God forsake Jesus? One little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That's nice churchy speak, isn't it? But what it simply means is the presence of God left Jesus for the first time in his whole existence because in order to, be, to understand fully and to take on all of sin, you see, God is good. Remember that first thing I said? Because of the goodness of God, he can't even look on the nature of sin. In the Old Testament, he would strike people dead for sin. And there's a reason why Passover and why Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb because the same time he gave up his life was the same time the Passover lamb was being killed for the people the Jewish people. But see, here's the cool thing. We don't have to do it every year. Jesus did it once and for all. And he took the penalty of sin, and sin, which is death. And he said, it's not me, but he took all that sin, everything that was opposed to God from the beginning of the world to the end, the Alpha and the Omega took it all on himself and became sin on our behalf. So that you and I, in our sinful nature, that no longer does God look at us in our sinful nature, but he looks at us in the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus Christ. And we are his prize now, when we should be in his refuse pile, all because what Jesus did. You see, he died for my sin. He died for your sin. I'm going to tell you tonight, even if you don't want to trust in God, even if you don't want to believe in Jesus? C.S. Lewis told us he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the savior of the world. And if he's a liar, it's the biggest, most awesome lie that's ever been passed in the history of the world. If he's a lunatic, then all of Western civilization, which you, whether believer or not, are existing in, is all formed off the biggest lunatic that ever walked the face of the earth. Or he is exactly who I believe he is, savior of the world and the son of God. And if he is... I have a lot that I got to change in my life. I have a lot that I need to do. You see, so matter what you're going through, never, ever, ever forget that God is good. He is for you. And although Jesus took on the sin of the world because of that, 
He will never leave you. He is always with you. So you won't be forsaken. Amen? Amen. All right. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As they get in place as I find my scripture I need to read. <laughs> All right. It's from chapter uh, 15. I'm going to ask Debbie to read it because I can't find it. That's okay. Oh, I know where it is, Debbie. Sorry. I put it down here. I forgot I had a shelf. Here we go. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. And they said, are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still only made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner for whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed him over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What should I do then with this one that you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. And they yelled, crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? They shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. At this part, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to come as you're led. There'll be some people to help you up here, and what we do here, we take the palms from Palm Sunday, which just a few days ago was a celebration of save us, save us. You see, we want, they understood that the Messiah was going to come and take over Rome. But I'm saying for each of you in here, each one of us watching or anybody who's part of, of, the, of life, recognize we have these ideas of what we want Jesus to be. And we lift them up before him, but when they don't work out, we say, God, are you nowhere? Those nowhere areas of your life today, I want you to look at those areas where, where you may have drop the ball in your relationship with Christ or maybe your entire life is one saying I haven't dealt Jesus I want you to take it that the scripture says he took our sins and he nailed them to the cross today as Wayne plays and sings this song I want you to come as you're led grab a nail and a hammer and a palm and let Jesus nail what is ever keeping you from him to the cross once and for all. Please come. Oh, 
is your love that you would stretch your arms and go around the world and why for me a savior's cry be heard i don't know why you went and where i was meant to go i don't know why you love me so those were my nails that was my crown that pierced your hands and your brow those were my thorns those were my scorns those were my tears that fell down and just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross how deep is your grace that you could see my need and choose to take my place and then for me these words i'd hear you say father no forgive them for they know not what they do i will go because i love them so those were my nails that was my crown that pierced your hands and your brow those were my thorns those were my scorns those were my tears that fell down and just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross I'll be reading our last scripture lesson from Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. And um, the last song that we'll sing in the night, there's a, something before the song, but the last song that we sing for the night will be, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And after that song, we just ask that people leave in reverence and silence for, for the Lord giving up his life. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to get him down, he said. And with a loud cry, 
Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the centurion who stood there at Jesus' feet said this, surely this man was the son of God. Rolled 
Were you there when 